All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 23 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger along with uh, Frank Saravalli. Frank, uh, hopefully you can make it through this episode. I just realized, looking at myself on screen, I kind of have a psychedelic shirt, at least uh, on my camera anyway. It's not. Uh, it's looking like a little hypnosis potentially it, for you. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I don't, I'm not loving that one. Yeah, I don't know what's going like. It looks it looks way better in person. I don't know what's uh, happening. How's that there. possible? Oh, buddy, it's a sports shirt. There's like hockey <laughs> sticks and basketballs and soccer. It's that is the it's ultimate a... dad shirt right there. <laughs> yeah, it does look like yeah, but you know, it's I got to get a real picture of it because it looks way better than it's looking right now on the screen for sure. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, trust me, it's legit. Um, speaking of legit, Sidney Crosby, 16 seasons where he's had a point a game or more. Uh, which of course is third all time. Gordy Howe had 17. Gretzky had uh, 19 of his 20 years. The only year he didn't was his final year in the reg- in the uh, NHL. You, you look at Crosby, and you know that's a that's a record that it, it, you know he'll he'll have a pretty good chance to take a run at. I think he can get to 20. I do. Uh, I mean, look, he's shown no signs of slowing down, and he's been such a big part of what that team has done this year. Uh, we have our guest Bob Beers on this week and we touched on the Penguins at the end with him. And he was saying that team is sneaky, good defensively. I was saying earlier 
uh, the start of the DFO rundown, one of the first couple episodes that I thought the Pittsburgh Penguins, this is the best decor they have. But when you have a guy like Sidney Crosby steering the ship up front, uh, you're always going to be in the mix and have a chance to compete. So for me, his love of the game is what will enable him to get to that 20 uh, you know, and it's amazing to think with all the health problems that he had at the beginning and middle of his career to, to get to that 20 mark would be an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty unique. And you look at, you know, today's athlete, like we saw Patrick Marlowe break the, uh, the all times game record played, which is amazing. And I, I guess when you look at how many players from the last two or three decades are in now the top 10 and 15, and you just look at the advancements in, in science and everything, I won't be surprised if somebody pushes Marlowe's record in the, in the next 20 years. Like Gordie Howe had that record basically from the time he set it back in 61. So, you know, we're talking 60 year, 59 years until someone broke it, but I'm not sure I see Marto's record and that's not because it's not a great record. I just think you're seeing more guys able to play longer than they ever have before. Well, and so many of them are starting at 18 and ripping off 82 game seasons right from the jump. Like that's a huge part of it, right? That's why Marlowe was able to get there. It's not just the health. I mean, it's incredible. You know, he's now played 900 consecutive games. Like that's nuts in and of itself. Um, you know, not a single sick day, you know, nothing, no injury that would keep him out of the mix, but I'm just, you know, taking a look at the list here. How, like, who are among the guys that could even challenge? Like, Zdeno Chara's at 1,600. He's obviously on the last legs of his career. Then to get to the next active player, it's all the way down at Eric Stahl, 1,284. He's not going to make it anywhere near that long. Like, Justin Williams, his career ended at 1,264. Jay Bomeister, his career. Like, you're, you're down in the, in the hundreds. Alex Ovechkin is closing in on 1,200 career games. I don't know. I don't know that that record will ever be challenged. Okay. Well, well it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but you just – you know, it, it, the younger guys play now, and obviously it's going to have to be a top pick for sure, because they're usually mm -hmm. the ones who play at 18 or 19. And, you know, may, maybe there's no lockout, Frank. So there's a, there's an 82 game season that, uh, that Marlo had to miss. And, you know, maybe there won't even be another half lockout. So there, there's a hundred games right there. It's even one less season that a guy has to play to catch him. That's what's crazy about Marlo is he went through, the lockout in 0405 lost the entire season. The half lockout in 1213. Then you've got this uh, pandemic year last year that cut off some games, 14 games. And then this year with the shortened year, I mean, he, yeah, could, like, well, he could be well above that. Yeah, it's like two full seasons, really, when you consider it, of uh, games yeah. out of his control for a guy who, who was able to remain healthy the, uh, the entire time. Um, a few speaking of seasons, some talks from the NHL that potentially next year is going to be 84 game regular season and music to my ears, fewer preseason games. Cause I've always thought seven was kind of ridiculous anyway, but 82 makes sense, Frank. And if, if you want to, especially for, you know, having everybody play each other twice, cause you're bringing in Seattle. So those two extra games from all the Eastern teams will just go to, uh, to against Seattle. And uh, you know, those are just extra division games in the Pacific and, you know, in, in the central division and, that it seemingly makes sense. And it's not like we've never had it before, because of course there was 84 games in the mid nineties. My question is, do you think it lasts long-term or is it just for a few years to try to recoup some, some uh, financial money here uh, over the next few years? I'm not even certain it's going to happen period. I mean, it's in the very beginning initial stages uh, of conversation and it's really going to come down to, 
I think the first question you need to answer is how do you want your playoffs to look? And, and I get the rivalry portion of it and keeping things in division play for the first two rounds. But I got to tell you, I really think some of the best NHL playoffs we've seen have started with the conference format one to eight. And I think that's the question they have to answer first, because that'll depend on how the schedule works itself out um, in terms of number of games played is how you want to structure it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I'm probably you old like school. the division I like, playoffs. I like the I like the division. I like you. You know, you build your teams. You know that okay, these are the teams we got to be come playoff time. Um, you know, you play a lot of the same teams year after year. Now I know in conference play that like Edmonton and Dallas, funny enough, had a six year run. They played each other. They, they and I was in conference play, so you it can make awesome. the argument that, that I guess it can work there too. So um, I don't. Either like, I, you know, either way, it's funny. People complain, oh, these teams are meeting in the first round. I'm like, dude, that happens every year in the history of the NHL. Even if you have conference play, we've had lots of years where the fourth and the fifth of the third and sixth teams were 105 point teams, 104 point teams mm -hmm. versus 102 point team. Like that's never going to change. You're, you know, just like this year, you look at the second and third uh, matchups in the East, uh, in the Central, uh, in the, uh, in the West, even in the North, Edmonton, Winnipeg, it looks like, like, that's just how it is in the playoffs. There's no crap teams for the most part. So half of the matchups are going to be good ones. So I never, I never really get into the whole, well, if you didn't have this matchup, these two teams, like Boston, Toronto, for instance, well, you go back and say it's conference play. You still would have had good teams. It just wouldn't have been Toronto playing Boston. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I think the division play as good as it is at times. And this year it's been on overload. Like I mentioned a, a few podcasts ago that I'm just like, I'm tired of it. I'd like to see some variety and we all know why that can't be the case this year. I don't know. Maybe I just have a little division fatigue and it's clouding my thinking, but you know, going back to what you were saying, one the number one and two overall teams meeting in the same division. Like that's, that to me is tough. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that should at least wait until the third round. Yeah, I, it's possible. Like eventually you've got to meet those teams. And so sometimes I argue that their series might be more entertaining earlier because they're healthier. Yeah. Right. And, and, so, and that's played itself out. I mean, look at those yeah. battles that the caps and penguins had for a number of years. Like they were really good. Oh, Edmonton, Calgary back in the eighties, man, like Montreal, Boston, like those were awesome. And how many cups would Calgary have won if they weren't in Edmonton's division in the eighties? Well, who knows? Cause would they have been able to beat him in the cup final? We'll never know, but it would have been fun to watch. Right. But it would have been fun to watch. That's for sure. They were 50% the two years they did get out of it. So yeah, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. So it would be, it would have been great to see. And, you know, so I, I do like the one thing I actually like more than anything is I'd rather keep divisions, but then when you get to the final four, it's just based on points. So if the two best teams happen to be in the East one year and they're seated one and two, then they get three and four. I would actually be in favor of that. That's going to be really juicy this year. And I'm going to, uh, I'm fascinated to see which matchups we end up getting. How much does that add to the gruel of these playoffs? If you've got some geographically unfriendly teams squaring off in the third round, yeah. like let's say it's, I don't know, Vegas and Carolina going back and forth for, or Vegas and Florida. Those are two of the furthest teams you can have together meeting in the playoffs going back and forth in the third round. And then you've got another one for the cup final that could add a lot of travel. I like it though. 
Yeah, I, you, you could really, you could look at the two three two format then if you wanted to, which yeah. is not unheard of. We've seen that in the NHL well, we, playoffs. We, we, you go back to when San Jose upset Detroit a few years in the conference uh, uh, first round, right? Those those were two three two series. I feel like that never gains any traction though. Anytime it comes up, they like it the way it is. Yeah, but um, and and that's fair. But I think when all of a sudden you're going to add that much travel in, then then you at least have to to consider it. And uh, hey, speaking of considerations, have you noticed the Minnesota Wild? Frank just creeping on up and suddenly the Minnesota wild are like legit. They could catch Colorado all of a sudden for, for home ice in that division. Like it's they're one eight in a row. They're one of the hottest teams in the NHL. And you know, their young guys just continue to be the leaders of that team. I, I do like the response from Kirill Kaprizov though. We, we talked about it in buy or sell on Friday and we talked about Jason Robertson and the season he's had, you know, he's right there with, Connor McDavid and even strength points since March 1st. But Kirill Kaprizov is like, oh, wait, you guys are saying that you you thought the Calder race was going to be close? Like, here's what I'm going to do to show you that it's not. So that that guy has – we had Bill Guerin on earlier in the season, the wild GM, and he was just saying what a shot in the arm he's given that entire franchise. He's changed the way that team is viewed around the league because he's such an exciting player and fun player to watch he's easily the most exciting player in team history, uh, which is a lot because they've been around for two decades now. And that team is now right there in the mix with some of the others. And so it just goes to show you one really strong addition to your team in the off season can change things. Well, especially a, a flashy player, uh, you know, a highly skilled offensive guy, which, you know, since Gabrick, I'm not really sure they've had at all in, in Minnesota. And that, uh, that makes it a lot of fun. And uh, our guest today, um, well, well, let's get to our big guest now. Cause I want to spend a little extra time with, uh, Bob beers, our, our big guest brought to you by uh, jockmkt.com. This is the jock market. Of course, go to jockmkt.com. They're a hybrid between the stock market and fantasy sports and the values of the players change all the time. And, uh, Tyler talked about it a few weeks ago. Had you bought low on Verana, you'd have been crushing it when he had the four goal game. So go online. You can sign up right now. And use the uh, code word DFO20. You'll get a $20 free to start to play around, figure out how you do. And, hey, we're getting building up to the to the final few weeks, man. You might want to look at some uh, Minnesota Wild. They're surging. Maybe the Pittsburgh Penguins. Get some individuals that you think you can buy low who you think are really going to ramp it up in the final week. That's jockmkt.com. And now we get to our big guest today, Bob Beers. Well, our guest today played uh, eight seasons in the national hockey league retired and then actually got brought back as a kind of a Reg Dunlop player coach was only playing home <laughs> games, of the American league. And uh, now he serves as a radio analyst for the Boston Bruins. One of the hottest teams in the national hockey league. And one of the greatest names in NHL history, Bob beers joins us, Bob, welcome to the DFO rundown. How you doing? Yeah. Happy to be here guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to it. It's been a, it's been an interesting season. It's been an interesting year. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah. Tell, geez, how many beers has Bob beers had in quarantine? Uh, well, uh, there, there's a few, there's a few. <laughs> They've actually got me doing a vodka commercial on, uh, on our radio station right now. So having a little fun with the last name and, uh, touting Tito's, which is a big sponsor for us. <laughs> oh, That's awesome. Well, Love over Tito's. the years, Bob, like, did you have teams or did you ever have a beer company approach you? Because it like, it would have, especially in Boston, like it would have seemed like such an easy no brainer. Yeah. I guess if I was a little bit more, uh, 
well-known, I don't know if you want to put it that way, or a little bit of a better player, maybe they would have. It would have been perfect with Teddy Bruschi, who was a linebacker for the Patriots, right? Bruschi and Beers, and could have had a lot of fun with that. But um, <clears throat> no, no, I never had that really. Um, yeah, like I said, if I if I was a little bit better player, maybe, maybe they would have had me. But uh, I, I'm enjoying doing the Tito's commercials now. Oh, I can, I can, hopefully you get a few stocks of Tito's at your house. Yeah, Nothing wrong gone. with that. Um, <laughs> let, let's start, we're going to get into your career in a bit, but let's start uh, current day with the, uh, the Boston Bruins who are very active at the trade deadline. They bring in Taylor Hall, a former Hart Trophy winner. Uh, you, you bring in Lazar as an energy guy and then a defense position, you know, well, and Mike Riley. And, you know, seems like all three have paid uh, instant dividends for the Bruins. Yeah. I mean, they, they needed a winger. Uh, they've needed a winger for a while. They knew that. Uh, David Krejci has been kind of starving for somebody to play alongside him. So Hall comes in and he plays that that wing now. Uh, done, a, done a nice job since he's been in there. Really, you know, I you see Taylor Hall play over the years, but what he's really kind of brought, aside from some of the offense, I mean, he's been dedicated coming back on the defensive side, really hard back checking, things like that. So that, that's been a big boost, I think, for the Bruins, even though they lost a couple of games here. Uh, they're trying to put on that playoff push, but Lazar energy, as you mentioned, fourth line guy, um, maybe can play up a little bit from time to time. And Riley was somebody that they identified in terms of a left shot defenseman that they absolutely needed. Somebody can move the puck and they've had some injuries, bad injuries on that back end that they're trying to kind of get over the hump with right now. And Riley's he's fitting nicely. Uh, I'm sure you saw Taylor Hall, Bob, a little bit uh, at the start of the year in Buffalo in the games that you saw him. How different has he looked for you since he's joined the Bruins? Like it just seemed like even just getting there, putting on a different Jersey, just gave him a little bit of a shot in the arm for a guy that admitted he needed some help in the confidence department. Yeah. And he came right out and said that, you know, with the confidence part, I mean, he was in the car driving to to Boston as soon as he got traded. Uh, Says a lot. He wanted to be part of the team that night, you know, the next day. Um, but like, you know, he, with the with the back checking that we've seen, the commitment to kind of try to fit in all over the ice. So it's not just if he doesn't score, what are you doing to help the team win type of thing? And that's that's a big one with Bruce Cassidy and the Patrice Bergerons and the Brad Marchands here that you know, what are you doing to help the team win when you don't score? And, and, and you're not going to score every night. So and that's been big, for I think, for Taylor Hall. And I think he's embraced that. It, at least it looks like it. You know, when you watch him play. Some of the back checks he had against Pittsburgh uh, on Sunday, you know, they were they were obvious. He's really, you know, making a commitment and and making a, an effort to be a close to a 200 foot player, you know, with, with a team that demands it. And um, I think it's great. I think he's fitting great. Hard for us to know sometimes, you know, we're not around the team, so you're kind of you're watching it from the outside, outside looking in type of thing. But when you watch him play, he looks like a guy that really wants to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, speaking of scoring and not scoring, one of the most fascinating parts of this Bruins season has sort of been the up and down of David Pasternak. And I I know Bruce Cassidy touched on it a little bit over the weekend, but what are you seeing when you watch Pasta? You know, it's funny because I interviewed Bruce Cassidy yesterday. We do it for our our, uh, pregame show for the radio. And and you look down at the stats and through the month of April, he had 14 points in 14 games going into Mm – uh, their game against Pittsburgh, which surprised me because I, I didn't realize that. But the, the eye test, right, the, the scoring really hasn't been there for him. Um, looks like he's fought the puck a little bit. I think Bruce Cassie had a comment the other day. It said, take the handcuffs off. Um, so he's he's had a tough time um, offensively. And I know that teams and, will 
focus. We say on tough, to... by the way, he's still on pace for 35 goals in a normal yeah, year. Right. So he's not like, he's not dying out there, but like, it's been, it definitely, you mentioned the eye test. It looks different. It feels different. No, no question. No question. And that's, that's why we asked the question. A couple of reporters asked him that in the, in his zoom scrum, uh, if that's what we're calling them these days that, uh, but you know, he, he gives honest answers. Bruce Cassidy does. And, and I think, you know, I asked him, the way I went at it was, okay, when you talk with David Pasternak, what's those com- what are those conversations like? You know, wh- where is he at with his own game? And, you know, he says he's, he's trying to find it. He's, he's a happy-go-lucky guy. He's, you know, the confidence level is pretty high with him, whether he's scoring or not, but no question that the Bruins need him to kind of pick it up a little bit in terms of the goal-scoring department. You know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned the points, 14 and 15 games, and – Pasternak, we're used to seeing him with like those elite goal scorer goals, right? One timers or, you know, he's, he's taking a snapshot and he's beating a goalie clean, even when the goalie set. And so I think sometimes when that's not there, it is funny. And Frank alluded to the 35 goal pace. He's such an elite goal scorer that the bar is set a lot higher now. And so if, if he's not scoring like Pasternak or Matthews or Ovechkin type goals, you're like, Hmm, I wonder what's wrong. And you know, it, it ultimately doesn't matter if he scores in April, they want him to score in May and in June, but Bob, you played and it, it's rare that a guy can just flip a switch or is Pasternak one of those guys that all he needs is, is one goal. And then he just goes on a tear. I hope that's the case. <laughs> he had one the other day against Buffalo, you know, was kind of cutting across the middle, shot it back against the grain blocker side against the Sabres. He had a couple chances against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, that one timer that you alluded to from the, from the left wing circle where he can really rip it and beat goaltenders there, but he hasn't had a lot of those this year where we used to see them all the time. And that's Ovechkin's, you know, that's his comfort level, right? That's, that's his spot where he scores most of his goals. Um, you know, it, it, the, the guys that you just mentioned there with Matthews and Ovechkin, they all kind of score in different ways, right? Ovechkin's got the big one timer. Matthews is more that, that drag and that great wrist shot, great release that he has. And Pasternak kind of does it in some different ways as well, but he does love that left wing circle where he can get shots away from there. You know, teams have tried to cover him. So he's got to find different ways to get open, whether it's coming up top on the power play or, you know, maybe he even ends up on the right side and trying to make plays there, but he's a good playmaker. You know, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. You know, when, when teams take away that shot, he kind of looks for Bergeron in a low tip position or somebody else in front of the net. So He's a good player. I, I think everybody here has confidence in him, but they just love him to, to, to get on the scoreboard a little bit more here recently. You mentioned the addition of Mike Riley on the defense, and they've been decimated by injuries on the blue line. And Brandon Carlo obviously is a huge one. He's gone. You know, Krug and Chara left in the offseason. The position that you play is probably the position maybe you respect and understand and watch probably even closer still now. When you look at the Bruins' defense, are they good enough to go deep? in the playoffs or did they need some of those injured guys to be back? They need Carlo to be back for sure. Um, he's a big part of that. You know, he's a defensive defenseman, really good on the penalty kill. Um, big guy who can really skate. So, you know, he's going to play 20 minutes a night. You know, he's not going to be offensive per se, but he's, he's going to be, he's going to provide a really good spot on that right side. He's going to help McAvoy who's, you know, also on the right side, but, it kind of slots everybody in the right places. And Kevin Miller's another big one as well. They just got him back. And and Kevin's, I mean, I don't know what you guys, you guys watch the Bruins from the outside, but I mean, it's it just watching him every night when he's healthy and it hasn't been very often. Um, he plays the game the right way. He plays hard. He makes people pay the par- price. 
Uh, he's physical. He'll drop the gloves, protect teammates. He's just, you know, he's, he's a guy's guy, right? And, and um, really like the way he plays. So that kind of solidifies that right side. And Riley coming in on the left, Riley, Grizzlick, they've tried to work Lausanne this year for a full season. He struggled a little bit here recently coming off of a hand injury. And then Zaboro's another, he's a first rounder from 2015 that they've tried to incorporate. He played most of the year. Now they've, he's kind of been a healthy scratch here the last few games. So they're trying to figure it out with Riley back in the, or with Riley added to the lineup. Bob, how do you size up where this Bruins team fits in the East? I mean, just from the outside looking in, it feels like this year has been a little bit of a roller coaster in Boston. I know the injuries have been there, but it's like, it's either feast or famine. Like this team's either rolling along or it feels like at times the wheels are falling off. How do you, how do you, how do you think this team stacks up with the other three teams that are going to make the playoffs? Well, I don't know how much you, uh, when, when you look at regular season numbers, I don't know how you guys think about it, but they've got a winning record against Washington. They've got a winning record against Pittsburgh and they've struggled against the Islanders, although they beat them twice last week. So, they actually fare pretty well against those teams. Um, now, whether that translates into playoff hockey, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's a whole different animal, right? So, uh, but they've tried to address some of the needs that they had with the three additions at the deadline. They'd like to get a little healthier on the back end. Every team would tell you that, or most teams would anyhow, that, that, that have struggled a little bit with injuries. Schedule is always a challenge. Um, they're trying to get through this, right? The Rangers are pushing them on the back end, but they could finish anywhere from first to fifth. You know, first is probably a little out of the question right now, but I mean, they, they could finish anywhere uh, in that in that area. And if you're fifth, obviously you're done. And that's the Rangers catching them. But you could also easily catch, uh, you know, Washington and the Islanders or, or even Pittsburgh for that matter, because you've got a couple games in hand on them. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the Islanders and in their last 10 games, Matt Barzell doesn't have a goal and he's only got five points like the Islanders. They're, they might be the best defensive team in that division, but their offense just doesn't compare to Boston or Pittsburgh or Washington. Do you think in that division with all the high-end offense that you have and let's say those four teams make it, can the Islanders, can they lock down those teams consecutively? Like you've seen, you, maybe they struggle a little bit against Boston, but they won the last two. Washington just beat them one nothing, and then 6-3. Like, I wonder, Bob, as, as a guy who played the game, when you rely so heavily on just being almost perfect defensively, like, does that, is that going to wear the Islanders down? I, I mean, they, they tried to address their issues, right, with uh, Palmieri and, and Zajac coming in. Um, losing uh, Lee was huge. I, 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 he's such a good player for them. He, he just epitomizes everything they want, right? Captain goes to the front of the net, plays a hard, heavy game, um, you know, they lean on you. They keep you to the outside defensively, like you were saying. Can they score enough? I don't know. They've, they've done it against the Bruins this year. Um, first, I think I think the Bruins have now played them seven times. The Islanders won the first five. Um, Bruins won this past week, we said. But, you know, they, it's a tough matchup. Um, can the Islanders do it? They proved that they could do it last year, right? Uh, you went, went pretty deep in the playoffs last season. So, I mean, they're counting on it. They've got a good kind of nondescript defense core that kind of keeps 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 teams at bay. They're not, you know, other than Matt Martin and maybe a couple other guys, they're not like a drop the gloves, you know, beat you up type of team, but they're a team that, that plays physical, tough brand of hockey and and they bought into it and you know, good on them. It works for them. So you got some different teams, right? Washington's a little bit different. Built uh 
You know, they don't mind dropping the gloves and kind of getting involved physically in those areas. Pittsburgh's a fast team. You know, the Bruins, I think, are a little bit of a hybrid of those. You know, they can play good defense, but they need to play better defense than they have. Can they score enough? You know, there, there's always questions with with every team, right? Yeah, for sure. Now, Bob, we want to we like to have you on the DFO rundown and talk a little active stuff, but we also like to go back uh, in your career. Of course, uh, you know, you played four years uh, NCAA. Then you came into the Bruins and, you, and your career has definitely gone full circle with them. I, I want to go back to, you know, you growing up and and, and getting, you know, that, that first NCAA opportunity at Arizona but you only played there a year and then you transferred. So tell me what happened to go to Arizona for a year. And then you're back in Maine. Uh, Well, let's see. I got drafted in 85, 1985, 10th round. There's no 10 rounds anymore. 10th round. So I was what you'd call a project, right? Um, I really didn't have any D one offers, division one offers. had a couple partials, you know, a couple teams wanted me to go to a couple schools, wanted me to go and play a year junior uh, tier two or whatever, and then come and, and try to, join after that I was ready to go to college so Northern Arizona University actually was D1 at the time okay division one uh and I went there um I had a great year I had a fun year I know that but they they canceled their program and about halfway through the season they announced that they were canceling their program they needed to build a new arena uh which they never did you know they never got back into division one so I was able to transfer from Northern Arizona to University of Maine without having to sit out a year. Because normally if you, tra- if you transfer, you have to sit out a season. So I was able to transfer without sitting out a year. And I, I mean, I had a pretty good year at Northern Arizona. So I, there were a number of schools that kind of called me and uh, recruited me at that point in time and, and wanted me to come. And I got talked into going to University of Maine. I want to go to Denver University. And I got talked out of it by um, – by my father and by the head coach of University of Maine at the time was Sean Walsh. And uh, it ended up being a great decision because we we had some good years at UMaine. Well, that was the crazy part. I was looking. So you get drafted in the NHL and you still didn't get many D1 offers. Like That's 10th round. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but still, hey, it's still, you're still, you have a 10th round. But keep in mind, well, there's not a 10th round now. There's also 31 teams, right? So if you look at yeah. the 10th round of, you know, 21 was, guys, there's still about 210, similar that there is now. So I think that's what I was. The number of guys drafted is the same. <laughs> but I'm kind of that, that because I was looking, I'm like, geez, did Bob... I always wanted to know how a guy gets drafted and then didn't start out. Well, I, I, I guess technically they were D one at the time, but that, that is odd. And then you go to Maine and like, you had some really good teams in Maine. Like you had a lot of your teammates who, who ended up playing, you know, whether it's 20 games or, or 500 plus games, in the NHL, I think there was like eight of you. Oh yeah. No, Dave it was, Notice uh, became a GM. Yeah. Dave Nonis was a GM. Garth Snow was a GM. Uh, he was at the tail end. So I was a senior, he was a freshman. Uh, Keith Carney had a great career, Eric Weinrich, um, Jack Capuano ended up being a coach, uh, you know, for the Islanders for years. He's an assistant coach now. Um, Scotty Pellerin's a development uh, coach, I think for the Toronto Maple Leafs still, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a Hobie Baker uh, winner for, so yeah, we had some good teams. Um, Scotty was a, a freshman when I was a senior, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a few guys. Bobby Corkum. Yeah. Um, really good career. So yeah, we had some guys, we were, we were on the upswing there um, for a while when, when I first joined them and we ended up going to the frozen fours or the final four, two years in a row, my junior and senior year, we, we lost both seasons, but uh, that kind of put university of Maine on the map, so to speak. And, and they went on to win a national championship with some guy named Paul Korea in, in 93. <laughs> 
He was pretty good. (laughs) Him and Jimmy Montgomery were pretty good together. (laughs) No joke. Uh, Bob, how do you size up your NHL career? How would you describe it? Like I'm just looking at your, your hockey DB page here and like, you had some really productive years. Obviously you get a little bit of help with a team like the Tampa Bay lightning coming into the league twice. You hit double digits and goals, but you kind of found yourself back in the minors at some point. Yeah. Well, did you look at the minus the plus minus? <laughs> is that, is that listed on hockey DB? <laughs> it's there. There it is. Yep. Yeah. A couple of dashes. So you were, you were in the running for a green jacket every now and yeah. again. <laughs> That's some power play points. You know, I was proud my, prouded myself on, on being able to get shots through and make smart decisions from the point, but you know, defensively probably you always look for that balance and eh, you know, playing with Tampa, you know, it was an expansion year when I got traded to Tampa. Uh, so got an opportunity, loved it down there. Um, you know, had, had, had a good season. Next season came around and we got off to a rough start and, you know, Phyllis Bazito was a guy that liked to make trades. So I got traded to Edmonton. Uh, that was a fun conversation with my wife coming home from practice in Tampa and telling her I got traded to Edmonton, um, which I loved, by the way, but she wasn't so, you know, she, she was she was sitting in shorts and air conditioned and, you know, she's like, what? We got traded to Edmonton? What's going on? Where is Edmonton? She said. <laughs> so that was a fun year in Edmonton. We, we had a good year. We didn't make the playoffs. Um, so then. I got picked up by the Islanders as a free agent, but that was the year we got locked out for, uh, and so it was only half the year. Uh, we were in a, a seven day training camp in January and I got hit in the eye with a puck, Ziggy Palfi, uh, in practice We're teammates in practice. He was trying to clear a puck out and I got hit in the eye and I missed the first 20 games of that season. So we, we sit out half the year, and then I have to miss the first 20 plus games. So it was kind of an ugly year for me. It just, it, it just, nothing worked out. And the Islanders didn't make the playoffs. And the following year I ended up, you know, if you're looking at it, I ended up most of the season in, in Utah, mm-hmm. which might've been the most fun I had in, in hockey. We had a great year down there. We won um, in the IHL, the old IHL, we won a Turner cup. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, well, Bob, I want to start in Edmonton because you came to Edmonton, you got traded for Chris Joseph. It was a top, he's a fifth overall pick, right? For first to 10th round. It doesn't matter where you're drafted many years <laughs> later. And you come to Edmonton, you put up 37 points in 66 games. Like those are some big offensive numbers for a defenseman. And you, you know, that wasn't an overly deep Edmonton team by any stretch of the imagination offensively. So was it just an op- just a chance where you got a tons of opportunities or is it just, you know, confidence is rolling explain to that year. And, and I think you had Teddy green and Glenn Sather as your, as your bench bosses that year. Yeah. Teddy got fired a little bit after I got there and then Glenn, Glenn Sather kind of took over. Ronnie Lowe was also, he was hands-on a lot. Glenn wasn't around as much, <laughs> but he would be there for the games. Uh, Ronnie was always on the ice for, um, for practices I had a great, I had a fun year that year. Uh, the ice, you know, as you guys know, right. The ice in Edmonton, fantastic people up. there were great, um, good teammates, good families, um, you know, and I, I really enjoyed it. I would have loved to have stayed up there. Uh, they, they made a decision at the end of the year that you know, they were going to move on. So uh, I was a free agent, but um, playing on a power play with Dougie Wade on one side. Um, you guys remember, remember um, Freddie Olofsson, yeah, uh, he was my partner. So he was, we were both righties, but you know, we kind of mix and match where we played Freddie would play up top. I'd play at the top of the left wing circle. Um, you know, when you got Dougie Waite making passes to you, that's pretty good. Jason Arnott, I think that was his first year rookie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
So we had, and Billy Ranford was outstanding in that. So we, we had a fun year. Unfortunately, we weren't good enough to make the playoffs. I think they made it either in the year or two after I left and kind of says something right there. Right. So <laughs> maybe they made the right choice. <laughs> now for only two games, Bob, you had a teammate in Edmonton and he was a left defenseman. I know what you're going to say. I don't know if you guys played together or not. There's Darcy Martini <laughs> and Bob Beers. Were Martini and Beers ever a defense pair? We were. Oh we God, were. It's unreal. It, it didn't last long, trust me, but we yeah, were. Yeah, he only played two games I saw. <laughs> yeah, I think I, something tells me we played together in St. Louis uh, for yep. a game. But, uh, Pittsburgh oh, and St. Okay. Louis were the two teams. Okay. Uh, yeah, it didn't last long, obviously. So <laughs> we might have we might have been having those martini and beers after the games as well. So maybe that's why it didn't last. <laughs> Could you imagine though, as a coach, you're filling out your lineup card, you're like, hmm, where do I put this it's martini? It's a joke, guy? right? Oh wait, okay, here, right here, next to Bob Beers, that that'll work. I grew up playing with a, a, a guy by the name of Dennis Miller. So we were Miller beers on the back end um, <laughs> <laughs> in youth hockey. <laughs> No, oh, that's you know, fed. So yeah, we'd have a lot of know, fun with that name. So you know, the linesman used to call me Eddie. Do you guys remember a guy by the name of yes, Eddie Beers? A big Eddie four went for to the Denver, flames. and he played in Calgary for a while, and I think it's St. Yep. Louis. So some of the old time linesmen thought I was Eddie Beers, and they'd always call me Eddie. And I, I don't know if they were joking with me or they just didn't know who I was. So I went with it. That was fine. Call me anything you want. I'm in the NHL. <laughs> so Bob, take us to the end of your career. Like I'm fascinated reading about and, and just looking at your page here again, you, you don't play the 97, 98 season and you come out of retirement and play home games only. Like what kind of arrangement was this? Um, yeah, that's, that was fun. That was, um, so, I mean, when I, when I retired, I was, I was only what, 29 or 30 years old and we, we had, there was some stuff going on at home. So I tried to figure out, you know, whether I wanted to play again or not. And I had a two, couple two way contracts uh, available to me. I had the opportunity to work in radio. So I took that, uh, retired, took that. That year was miserable. Like I, I wanted to play. I, and I'm watching games. I said, I can, I can play. I, I still want to be playing here. I'm young enough. I'm in shape. I'm you know, that quickly changed by the way, the part about being in shape, but I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to stay with it. So the following season after that year that it, I didn't play any games and just did the radio, Peter Laviolette was the head coach down in Providence and we had played together. And, you know, I called Peter and I said, you know, do you, would you, would you be open to me coming down and practicing and seeing if, you know, I could play some games, you know, and he was, he was all for it. They had a really good team. So I was just going to, you know, fill in and, and, Cause I couldn't be there full time. I said, my, you know, my day job is the radio. I got to do that. This is, this is what my future holds, but I still want to play. And Peter was great. Uh, Peter and, and Billy Armstrong who's now the GM in, in Arizona was the assistant and they had me down. There was some funny times down there. It was, uh, I remember there was, there was one game where I, I worked the afternoon in Boston. Um, so I did, it was a one o'clock game in Boston. It must've been a Saturday. And then I drove to Lowell where the Bruins were playing against the Lowell Lock Monsters and, and played for them at seven o'clock where the Providence Bruins were playing. So I, I had a double header that day, <laughs> but that was one of the first games that I played for him. I ended up playing a few games in the playoffs. I broke my hand in the, in the um, first or second round, Mike Ribeiro broke my hand and uh, it was one of his first games playing. And then I didn't play any games until the, till the last game against Rochester, where we ended up winning um, a Calder cup. 
So that was fun. And I did it again the next year. So I played a few more games that next year because the Bruins got knocked out of the playoffs. So I was able to play, you know, a bunch of games in the playoffs and didn't get hurt that year. So and I tried to do it a third year. I started practicing and Mike O'Connor was a GM in Boston. He's like, no, we can't do this anymore. You get, we, we have prospects that we need to have play more games. You can't, you can't be taking up their ice time. So that was it. That was done. But safe <laughs> to say you, you made the right call though. Like how much have you enjoyed the radio? I've done the radio since 1997. So 24 years, you know, watch my kids grow up and, and two of them graduate college and the third one in college right now. It's been a good career. It's been a good life. Um, you know, you always re- Maybe you regret a few things. Some guys still say they, they never regret anything. I, I regret maybe not trying to give it one more push and play a little bit more. Um, but maybe then I don't have a, a radio job. So 24 years in radio, it's been a great run. It's a good organization. I enjoy working with them, good people. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I guess in that respect, I stopped thinking about playing and and started really concentrating on this. And, and I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's been really good. Bob, uh, lots of people that I that I talked to when we said we're having you on, I say, man, like he just he always seemed to really enjoy the game. And you know, listening to you talk about, hey, one of my best years was in Utah. You had Butch <laughs> Goring as your head coach in Utah in the, in the now defunct IHL, which was you know for some of our younger listeners, it was like a rival of the AHL. It was an independent league, and you know, got lots of really good players that would go to the IHL, and uh, and some of them went directly to the NHL. You had affiliations and such. What was it about that year in Utah that was so fun for you? Well, I'll take you back to training camp that year. And I was in, um, it was the Islanders training camp and we were up in Ontario. I'm trying to remember where, um, London. No, I can't remember right now. We were in, in Ontario for training camp. Mike Milbury was the coach. Um, so he, he sent me down partway through training camp and he said, you know, we have our, our, our AHL team is in Worcester. Worcester, Massachusetts. And he said, so I know you have fam, you know, your family's in Boston. So I'll send you to Worcester. And, and I looked at him, I said, no, I want to go to Utah. You know, I want to play out in Utah. I, I looked at their lineup and looked at, you know, Utah or excuse me, Worcester was more of a development league, AHL. Um, but Utah was guys who have been in the NHL that are kind of winding things down, right? We had Scotty Arneal, Andy Brickley, um, we had uh, Bobby Halkidis ended up out there, uh, Gord Deneen, you know, a lot of names that, that spent considerable time in the NHL and, and they were kind of winding down the career. And I said, this is, this is where I want to be. So uh, Andy Brickley and I actually lived together out there and Andy does TV for, for Nesson for the Bruins. So we remained best friends for, for years. Um, but that was just, it was a fun year. Butchie Goring was the head coach. Kevin Shovel Day was the assistant coach, assistant GM. You know, guys who have done pretty well for themselves in, in their careers. And Scott, like I said, Scott O'Neill's now assistant coach in, in the NHL. And just, it was just, it was a good mix of people. Let's put it that way. And we had a fun year and we had a great battle with, with Las Vegas uh, throughout the season. Las Vegas finished first overall that year. And, and we ended up beating them in the playoffs and went, went on to win the Turner Cup. So, um, I don't know. Sometimes pressure is off a little bit when you're not in the NHL and you're playing, you're having fun. Um, you know, we had guys, we had 12 guys playing golf during the playoffs, you know, we finished practice and go play golf, but we'd come to play and, you know, play hard every night. And it was just, it was a good group. It was a good mix. That's, that's why I say it's one of the best seasons. 
You you also had some, you know, character tough guys. Alan May was on that team, Barry yeah. Nykar and Mike McWilliams. So not only could you guys score <laughs> if, if you wanted to get into the to the rough stuff, uh, Bob, you guys were pretty well suited in that regard. I remember Mike McWilliams telling me when I first got there, he says, you, you, you don't drop the gloves. And he goes, anytime somebody wants to take you, I'm, I'm coming. He says, I'll take care of things. <laughs> he's a big man. He lives out in Vancouver now. We see him from time to time when we go out there and travel. But uh, Nykar got traded at the deadline. We picked up a couple of other guys. Um, but, yeah, Alan May, I think he does uh, TV now for the Washington Capitals. So, yeah, yeah good good people. Like I said, it was just – it was it was just, just – it was a good mix. And Butchie let us kind of – Butch Goring kind of let us do our thing. You know, he had to come down on us once in a while, but he, he let us do our thing and, and – um, we had fun on and off the ice. You you had a lot of unique coaches. Um, Rick Bonus, Mike Milbury, yeah, Terry Crisp in Tampa. We mentioned Slats when he was kind of part time, maybe head coach uh, as well. And and Butch Goring. Of all, were were you a guy? Did did you always get along with your coaches, Bob? Uh, did, did you have a coach that was like a favorite coach to you that maybe really helped your career, whether it was in uh, college or in the NHL? Well, college was definitely, that was Sean Walsh and he, he passed away uh, in the early 2000s, 2001, I think it was, but he, he was, he was great to me. Um, really enjoyed playing for him and just as a person. Uh, as a pro, I, you know, I came in, played for Rick Bonus my rookie year uh, up in uh, Portland, Maine. That was a, the Bruins farm team at the time, the American Hockey League at the time. So enjoyed playing for him. And Mike Milbury was the head coach in Boston. And he went from really liking me a lot because I had a good playoff in, in 1990. And we went to the finals. I broke my leg, actually, in, in the conference finals, so I never got the chance to play against Edmonton that year. But um, And then the next couple of years, he didn't like me as much. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason. And you always get screwed as a player, right? So, But, you know, you look back on it now. Yeah, I wasn't quite as as good as I needed to be. And um, and then he ended up coaching me again in Long Island and sending me down to Utah. That was the year that I was telling you. At least he sent me to Utah and not Worcester that year. So <laughs> I do thank him for that. And we've remained friends for years. But he, he was a really good coach. And things just – they didn't work out for me in Boston, at, at uh, you know, for whatever reason at that time, young in my career. So I, I enjoyed him. Terry Chris was a – wow. He was he was a beauty. Um, <laughs> he – we – Anytime I run into guys that uh, that I play with in Tampa, Terry Chris stories always come up. He was behind the bench. He had some. He was funny behind the bench, but you didn't like it at the time. But he was hard on guys, and he always say, "Look, I'm you know, I'm hard on you, but I like you." He says, "I just I'm hard on you. It's just the way it is." And like, what's a great line you remember? So a lot of mistakes. What's one of his great lines you remember? Oh boy. Um, I, I guess I can say this. Um, so Roman Hammerlick was a rookie that year. He was 18 yeah. years old. And uh, he came around the net and tried to make a pass up the middle of the ice. And I remember Brett Hull for St. Louis. He one time that pass <laughs> past our goaltender. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Crispy, I, I can't get into everything he said, but he said, he said, Cash, Wayne Cashman was the assistant coach. He said, Cash, the search is over. They've got somebody to to, to play with Hully because <laughs> he'll put passes on his stick all night long. And 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 Crispy had Brett Hull in Moncton, right, a few years earlier. He didn't like him. 
<laughs> turned into a pretty good score, <laughs> but he's a yeah, hammer that came around the net and it was 18 years old and he didn't understand much English and, and I mean, a number one overall pick by the yeah, way. Right. Exactly. For, for Tampa. Right. <laughs> kind of tough year to be walking in as a number one pick and <laughs> crispy could be hired on guys. <laughs> I, I don't know if, if hammer, if he understood what crispy was saying, but he knew he wasn't being nice to him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, those are the, the G-rated ones I could tell. There were a lot of R-rated ones I'd probably leave alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob, we'll get into uh, rapid fire now. And uh, the only rule is you, you got to answer them as honest as you can. So, All right. Um, uh, well, we'll start with the easy one, Bob. What is uh, what is Bob Beer's cocktail of choice? Mm, Tito's. Tito's. Perfect. Oh, look at you. Geez, 24 years in the industry. Eh? Nothing gets by you. <laughs> okay. So now this one, if you could have had any beer company to do a commercial with Bob beers to promote, which would it be? And why? Uh, Bud, Bud and Bud Light. That's the big one. Those, that's what you, that's what you like. That's, that's the go-to on the road. Yeah. Okay. Um, you had a lot of NCAA teammates who made it. Who was the best NCAA teammate you had who didn't make it to the NHL? Uh, A couple guys had a cup of coffee there that were really good. Guy like Mike McHugh or Dave Capuano, you know, had, had uh, Dave actually might've had more games than me. I'm not sure, but he he was a really good, uh, really good college player. He, He was, he was one of our best offensive guys. In the NHL, who was the forward that you hated playing against for either skill or just tenacity? Eisman gave me a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't play against him a ton, right? But but when we played Detroit, he was always he he was just he was just so good. I mean, you know, played against Mario. He was he was Mario. Um, I remember having a two on one shorthanded with uh, Curry and Gretzky coming down on me. That was a little scary. So, um, you know, those guys, I mean, in, in the in the pinnacle of their career, I got an opportunity to play against some really good players. I, I remember Eisman, though. He was relentless. He was always he, in your face. He could chirp too, huh? Yeah, he didn't chirp me much just because I wasn't that important. So <laughs> he would chirp other guys maybe. <laughs> I, 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 I really liked him just as a player. I, I enjoyed watching him and what he was able to do and accomplish and everything else. Bob, uh, you, you've had a chance uh, to, to watch one and you played with him briefly. And then for many years, you coach him. So Dano Chara, Ray Bork. Who is a more popular Bruin amongst the fan base, do you think? Bork. Bork. I'm a little biased. I mean, played with him. So, and, and I consider him a friend. Um, you know, we, he lives in the area. We, we do charity events and alumni events and things. You can't go wrong with either one of them. Right. I mean, they're both, I mean, you got one in the hall of fame. The other one's going to be soon to be in the hall of fame. Um, Char was really popular here. He brought a Stanley cup here. And I, I think that that, you know, that might bring him to another level, but I'm a little bit biased on board. That's fair. The uh, in the alumni games that you play, do you still want to stick members of the Montreal Canadiens? And we played them in Gillette Stadium, right? I don't know if you guys remember that uh, for yeah. the outdoor game. That that was fun. That was a lot of fun. You know, we we had some time the night before with some of those guys. Um, I I I think that a lot of things get kind of buried over years. 
some things don't. And <laughs> there were a couple of guys that really didn't talk to each other a whole lot. I remember sitting in the locker room and remembering that we had, we had a funny bus ride there and it was, uh, we were, it was just the Bruins were on one bus going to Gillette. And I just remember Bobby Sweeney saying, Hey, defenseman, just make sure you don't get toe dragged by Kovalev. That's the last thing you want to do is get toe dragged by Kovalev and look silly in front of all these people and on TV or whatever. So I said, I got toe dragged enough in my career. I certainly didn't want him to do that. I kept him on the outside and he beat Reggie Lemon with a rocket of a shot. <laughs> I was like, Oh, at least I didn't get toe dragged. I'm minus one, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. So what was the most memorable person who toe dragged you in the NHL? Vladimir Ruziska. Oh, big Vlad. Wow. It was, um, he got, he got traded to the Bruins. Yeah. And it was his first practice. And I didn't know this guy at all. He's six foot four. He's huge and he can fly. And he just, he made me look silly in practice. I was, <laughs> oh my God. I think I was in the press box the next game. I, I would imagine that. Vladdy Rosiska was, was unbelievable. He was a really good individual player. Yeah, he did. Well, you'd heard so many stories about him. He just, it seemed that he came over a little bit too late, maybe. I think so. I think so. He fit in well with the Bruins for a couple of seasons. He had some good years there, but uh, yeah, he, he got traded. I can't remember he got traded for. Was it Ranford? He might've been traded for Ranford. I can't remember, but he came to the Bruins and he was, I mean, this, this guy, he, he could do it all. He was, oh, he was a highly, highly skilled player. There's no question yeah. about it. Bob, we, we really appreciate your something time. out of the hat there, but <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, before we let you go and thanks for playing rapid fire quickly, your thoughts. Cause you saw them yesterday, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, it's funny cause they got Sidney Crosby and they've got Malkin who's banged up, but the Penguins have very quietly suddenly kind of surged in that East division. And, you know, it was a one nothing game against the Bruins. Um, are they, are they surprising you? Are they better than you thought they'd be? They're better defensively than I thought they'd be. Um, they've had, you know, the Bruins had one game where there was, I think it was seven to five, but they've had these other games where the Penguins really check well, and they're not a physical team per se, right? But they, they check with their feet, they get there, they take away time and space, and that's given the Bruins some problems. Uh, you know, Bruins didn't play very well against them. Um, you know, you, you look at a game, it's one nothing. Did you play well? No, the Penguins say that they played their best, you know, one of their best games, complete games. So it depends on which side you're looking at. But yeah, they surprised me how well they can play defensively. I know that they can score. And it's funny, right? Crosby seems to pick his game up when Malkin's out and vice versa. Malkin picks his game up when Crosby's out with an injury. You know, and they put it together with the two of them in there. They're scary. So, um, and Jeff Carter looked pretty good yesterday, I thought. You know, and first time we've seen him in the Penguins uniform. So a good pickup for them. But yeah, defensively, you always know that they can score a little bit, but really been impressed with the way that they've defended um, and, and, and limited opportunities, at least against the Bruins. Well, Bob, thanks so much for joining us and uh, congratulations on uh, coming up on your silver anniversary on the radio with the Boston Bruins, 25 years. That's fantastic. Thanks yeah, so much get, for being on the DFO rundown. I appreciate you guys for having me. Hopefully we get a full season in next year and we're back to normal, right? That'd be awesome. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Bob. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Bob Beer, some really interesting and fun stories. Like the, what a career that guy had um, all over the map in terms of the NHL played with some high quality people. And you know what, you know, what's fun about talking to a guy like Bob Beers, Jason, is you go back and you look at his DB page and you see all the players that he played with, not just the high end guys, but are still making an impact and a dent on the game today in, in coaching and management roles. Hockey. I always say this, the world's smallest $5 billion industry.
Well, you, I was looking at his teammates just in Maine, right? So Dave Nonis went on to be a, a GM, but you have Eric Weinrich and, you know, he mentioned Capiano. Bob Corkum had a really good year and then some young guys that came along when he was seniors. Like, like Maine, it's, it's interesting what he said. They never won the title at that time, but they, they went to the fr- Frozen Four a few times and really kind of built that organization. And, and you wonder, you know, if Northern Arizona doesn't have to build a new rink, what kind of career path does Bob have? Like, you know, you, you don't, you never know something like that because he got to Maine. You're, you're, you, you usually, you get better when you play with better teams and he'd already been drafted, of course, but I, I do wonder, you know, where his career path might not have gone if they didn't decide to have to build a new arena, which he said they still never done. Smells like it would have been a good rapid fire question. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess I could have asked him, but that's a tough one. I never want to, Hey, where do you think you, would your career never have happened if you didn't go there? I'd so. be an investment banker right now. Who oh, knows? geez. But anyway. and how about this? Not many guys, Frank last 24 years as a radio analyst either. Like Bobby's Hardly really any. good. And you can tell he's just, he's got a really good personality. You know, obviously takes himself not very serious and he understands the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's true. And and not only that, but obviously there's been a lot of loyalty both ways between himself and the Bruins and the Bruins and him. And, you know, you could tell when, when a player has that kind of respect to come back as a part-time home games, only, like, could you imagine that would never work today? Could you imagine telling your team, Hey, we're going to bring this guy in. He's only going to play home games. That gives you a pretty good indication of how well liked he was. Well, they, they, they won the, the title with him the one year. The next year he comes back. The Bruins get knocked out in the, in the uh, regular season. So he's playing. But I love that story. I'd like to know if there's anyone else who's pulled off the NHL radio analyst and AHL defenseman doubleheader in the same game. I'm going to guess pretty no unlikely. One. Yeah, I don't know anyone that would even fit the qualification. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like that's, what's so awesome about that. So I love, I love uh, having guys on like that. He's still in the game, but he's uh, got a great, By the way, martini and beers. Like that is fantastic. Yeah. Two dude. Like it's, it's, they only play two games together, but it's still one of the greatest, you know, and I looked and I, and I saw that they played two games, but I couldn't tell if they were actually D partners. So that, you know, Bob's at, we played together for a game in St. Louis uh, and Darcy Martini only ever played two games in the NHL, but his two games, Martini plays with beers. Like, but could you imagine like is amazing. slats would have been such an asshole. Like I said, you're making up your lineup card and you don't put Martini and beers together. Like what's wrong with you? <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, Frank, that was a fun episode. Uh, We will talk to you on Friday. Lots can change between now and and Friday. The races, uh, we'll see tonight. Can the Calgary Flames, they got to win tonight to stay in the hunt. There's no question. A loss, they're six out with eight back. But if they win, they're suddenly only two points back. Wake me up when it's playoff time. (laughs) All right, Frank, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.